What is the truth about the Talmud? And why did the Catholic Church burn Talmuds in the past? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on this Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Are you ready to have your eyes open? Are you ready to learn a lot? We're going to do it today on the broadcast. If you have a Jewish-related question, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. If you are listening live and you're anywhere near Lakeland, Florida, we're going to have a wonderful Israel conference. I'll be there, Bob Gladstone, Scott Volk, your colleagues of mine with tremendous messages hosted at Jeremiah Johnson's congregation in Lakeland, Florida. You can find out about that on my itinerary, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. All right. What is the truth about the Talmud? Is it a collection of evil, ugly books that spend much time blaspheming Jesus and condemning Gentiles to hell or painting Gentiles as inferior? What about the contents of the Talmud Should this literature be suppressed? Should people be warned about it? Is it misunderstood? How should we as followers of Jesus relate to it? I want to do my best to address these statements in light of a lot of controversies that are swirling around today. All right. Volume five of my series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. Almost 500 endnotes almost 340 pages. This is the fifth volume in a five-volume series. I deal with traditional Jewish objections to Jesus. And one of them is this, that as Jews, this is a traditional Jewish objection, as Jews, we have a written law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, and we have an oral law that he gave to explain the commandments. What does it mean, don't work on the Sabbath? What does it mean, don't steal? How do we define these things? What is work? What is it work? What are the penalties, etc.? And it explains these, this expands them in an oral law. And traditional Jews believe that Moses then passed these traditions on and these principles of interpretation to Joshua, Joshua to the elders, elders to the prophets, etc., all the way down to the time of Jesus. And then ultimately, a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus, these traditions developed further. They were put in writing. That becomes the Mishnah, becomes the Talmud, and ongoing Jewish literature since then. So the whole purpose of this volume is to explain why I reject the Talmudic tradition as being inspired by God or going back in an unbroken chain to Moses or being a valid interpretation of the written law. I have a whole volume. Maybe as a follower of Jesus today, I can say I've written about this in more depth than anyone else has, especially as a Jewish follower of Jesus. So this means that the authority structure of the rabbinic community, that the traditions they revere, many of them are beautiful, some of them are neutral, some of them I think are bad and stifling. But it means that we are on very different pages and that they see me as an outsider, all right? And that's why when I was preaching Jesus Yeshua in Israel this year, in Jerusalem, or or actually last year, that's why I end up being surrounded by by an angry crowd of of religious Jews and, and as I profess faith, and Yeshua the Messiah, some of them spitting on the ground because what they know about him is evil. 
What they know about him connects Christianity directly to the Holocaust. So I want them to know who he really is, but who they think he is is very evil and ugly. And that's how they think of me. So I've been rejected. I've been spat in the face. I've been warned that that I'd be strangled by an angry Orthodox Jew years back for preaching the gospel. Okay. So I'm, I'm not presenting things as, as if we're all on the same page. However, the Talmud is consistently misrepresented. The Talmud is consistently lied about. The Talmud is consistently misunderstood. And there's a fresh wave of this now because of which a fresh wave of anti-Semitism is rising among even professing Christians. I've got some clips to show you. We're going to look at some Talmudic texts. So this is going to be an eye-opening time together. Uh, Let me take you to an article in the Jewish Virtual Library about the burning of the Talmud. And, and it's talking about Christian and Jewish relations. And it says, despite the massive restrictions imposed on the Jews by the church and the political, social, and economic spheres, and the attacks on the oral law by Christian theologians, the campaign to proscribe, so outlaw Jewish literature was not launched until the 13th century. So traditional Jews, trying to keep their traditions and simply live in their own communities, were being harassed by the Catholic Church, by other Christian leaders, they were being criticized. There was pressure on them to convert, etc. And then finally, finally, what, what happens is, as you get into the 13th century in France, there is a major campaign. There is a, a, a Jewish man converts to Catholicism. They now require a Jewish leader to debate him. And then after that, they burn thousands of copies of the Talmud. Now, they have to understand, this is a massive, this is before the printing press, Okay. This is a a massive, massive work of 20 volumes and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. So to burn the Talmuds was was a horrific thing to do. And other writings were burned as well. But but this is the church. This is the professing church. What are they doing burning literature, even if they differ with it? Even if they don't like what's in it? Why are they burning it? Well, it's heinous. It's it's one of the reasons that, (laughs) excuse me, so many Jews have such a problem with Christianity that religious Jews say, well, you've, you've oppressed us, you've beaten us, you've persecuted us, you've killed us, you burned our sacred literature, and, and you're, you're saying that you're following the Messiah, that you're following the Prince of Peace, that, that we should believe in your Savior. All he's done is, is hurt us and, and cursed us and, and persecuted us. That would be a Jewish perspective of history, the way the church has often treated the Jews. And they might say, well, they all deserved it. That, that is the standard anti-Semitic lie. Yeah, just like the blacks deserve to be enslaved. Exactly. The same type of lies and dehumanizing of other people. All right, now, now, there is an extremist rabbi, a fringe rabbi in Israel, whose views would be categorically denounced by the vast, 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 vast majority of rabbis in Israel and by virtually every secular Israeli. Here's what happened. The Talmuds were burned in front of the cathedral in Notre Dame. Now that cathedral is on fire, and this radical rabbi suggests that the fire may have been retribution for the 13th century Talmud burning. So Shlomo Aviner, who moved to Israel from France in the 60s, suggests that the fire that gutted the iconic church may have been divine retribution for the burning of Jewish manuscripts in 1242. And he says this, he says this, it's wrong to go burn a synagogue down. But we don't have uh, to burn a church down. But we don't have to feel sad about it. We don't have to feel sad. And this might be divine retribution. 
He's radical, fringe, and listen to me, as clear as I can be. There are radical, fringe Jewish fundamentalists who are dangerous, just like there are radical, fringe Christian fundamentalists who are dangerous, and a whole lot of radical, fundamentalist Islamists who are dangerous. They exist in every religion. They exist in the Hindu religion as well. So this rabbi's views are ugly and to be renounced, and they have been by other Israelis and Jews who react with horror to hearing something like that. However, if you've got it in for the Jews, if you are believing anti-Semitic lies and think that you are now crusading for Christian truth, you're going to buy right into this and use this as a provocation to further point that the Jews. doesn't matter it's one fringe guy not representing the people. No, 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 no. The Jews. So we go back to true news. Remember, they have refused to further interact with me after I called them out on putting out some anti-Semitic lies. Uh, they said, great, come on our TV show. I said, in a heartbeat, as long as you come on my radio show also, let's make it 50-50 even. Nope. Well, then let's have a formal debate. No, we're not interested in debating. You have to rebuke Ben Shapiro. This is, this is not Christian orthodoxy. Rebuke everyone that doesn't believe in Jesus. No matter how respectful they are towards your beliefs, go around rebuking them as Antichrist. All right, so let's take you into True News talking about the Talmud. Clip number one. We know that the majority of evangelical Christians have never even heard the word Talmud. Wouldn't even know what it means if it came up and bit them. A lot of their pastors do. Their pastors do. Yeah. And it's being taught, uh, like you said, on Christian television, Christian radio, um, you know, Christian rabbis. I, I don't know how you can be a Christian rabbi. Okay, the last point, Christian rabbi. I use the term messianic rabbi to say that this is not a traditional rabbi. And I understand some say you shouldn't be called rabbi at all. Fine. No big argument for me about that. However, however, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that 99.9999% of pastors in America have virtually no clue what's in the Talmud. Oh, and I can guarantee you that the gentlemen that, that are on that stage, they're on that TV platform. I can, I can almost assuredly guarantee you they have never worked their way through a single doff, a single page of the Talmud and understood the dialectical argument and can here, tell me, please, those of you who claim to speak about the Talmud, as Christians, tell me, please, uh, uh, the, the progression from the Zugot to the Tanaim to the Amorayim. Tell me, please, the difference between Mishnah and Gemara. Tell me about Tosefta and extraneous Baraitot. Please, tell me about the development of the Sugiah. Tell me about some of the principles of interpretation. Please break down for me the six orders of the Mishnah and the Talmud. Tell me which then tractates of the 63 tractates are found in the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. Tell me which one of them is more authoritative between them and, and why one is studied more than the other. Let, let's just get started to see if you even know what you're talking about. Or have you read a select quote pulled out of context and butchered? All right, back to True News, clip number two. When the king had all the Talmud and Maimonides' books, Ben Shapiro, your buddy, your hero, Maimonides, because he too was convicted of blasphemy, like you're a blasphemer, and his books were brought in in the wagons and they were brought into Paris. And where were they burned? In front of Notre Dame Cathedral. That's a shameful thing that happened. That is a blight on Christian history. That is one of the ugly moments. And, and one of the co-hosts there says, yeah, that's when the church pushed back against the Talmud. This is, this is putting forth ignorance. Listen, a few years ago, 
a missionary group handed out New Testaments to Ethiopian Jews in a Jewish community. And some rabbis some, or some militants in the community grabbed those New Testaments and burned them. There was an outcry over Israel. We don't burn books. The Nazis burned our books. The Catholic Church burned our books. We don't burn books. There was an outcry over this. Rick Wiles says, no, no, we're not, uh, we're not advocating uh, burning books, but exposing them. Well, how about understanding what's actually in them? And how about renouncing and denouncing those who burned books out of ignorance and out of fear and out of superstition? How about that? And how about owning up to some of the horrible history of anti-Semitism that's been carried out in the name of Jesus? We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today, 866-34-TRUTH. What does the Talmud actually say about the Gentiles, about pederasty and things like that, uh, about Jesus? Is he in hell, according to the Talmud? What's actually written there? One more clip. This is a different broadcast. Rick Wiles, True News, talking to his co-hosts about the Talmud, uh, about Judaism and slavery to the Jews. This This is what they're putting forth. You read the Talmud, you know what we, Goyim, get to do. We get to be slaves. To serve them, right? We already are. Well, we get to be extra slaves to... to well, that's, you're it's you're already into, into Jewish slavery. You're, you're already, already serving it. We are, man. Look at the, federal res- uh, look at the money in your wallet. Federal Reserve <laughs> notes. You're Just already a slave. Look at the things we're forced to man. talk about every Let's single see. day as Americans or anyone in the world. The Crazy. media, the narratives, the talking points. Everyone focusing on Jesse Smollett right now is even party to this hoax because it's it's completely irrelevant compared to what you just presented well, here. That, that hoax, though, is part of the propaganda That's campaign to break down the society. Right. Now, here's the deal. If you come to faith and, and you have satanic material in your home, let's say you were a Satanist, and a Satan worshiper, and, and you burn your books. I destroyed rock albums I had when I got saved, but I don't go to my neighbor's house and take their rock albums and destroy them. Or if my neighbor's a Muslim, to take their Quran and burn it. No, you don't do that. And that's what the church did. It seized books from the Jewish community and burned them. Oh, but those books say that the, the, the Gentiles are just going to be slaves to the Jews. And we're all slaves to the Jews now. That's the kind of nonsense that's being put forward. So what does the Talmud actually say? And again, it's a massive series of books. And it's massively complex. And there are all kinds of of things quoted in there that get misunderstood and taken out of context. So there's an Israeli, uh, he's an atheist himself, and he goes around interviewing other Israelis, asking questions. So he's asking them questions about, does the Talmud teach certain things? Here he's talking to a religious Jewish woman. It's all religious Jews he's talking to. Here he's talking to a religious Jewish woman. Let's watch what happens. Uh, If you eat with a uh, goy, uh, someone who's Gentile, it is the same as eating with a dog. 
Definitely not. Okay. It is permitted to take the body and life of, a, of somebody who's not Jewish. No. And you can cheat Gentiles or no. uh, idol worshippers. No. All right. She's asking, is this taught in the Talmud? No, no. So now he sits down with an ultra-Orthodox rabbi in the midst of his study and all of his books, and he's going to ask him these questions. Let, let's listen to what the rabbi has to say. The phrase in the Talmud is not the word non-Jews. The phrase in the Talmud is those who worship stars. Now, that's a technical term that is not necessarily synonymous with non-Jews. It refers primarily to pagans and idol worshipers. So one idea that we need to understand is that um, non-Jews that are monotheistic, non-Jews that are committed to uh, the idea of one God and ethical morality are not subsumed under that negative connotation. Ah, isn't that interesting? The Talmud does not make a certain statement about Gentiles in general, but about idol worshipers. That's the difference. Uh, so uh, what, what about, how, how far does this go? What, what does Jewish literature actually say about this? Let's listen to another clip from the same rabbi. So Akum is an abbreviation. Akum is Oved Kochavim Umazalot. Yeah. A worshiper of stars and planets. So really, it does not refer to an Jew as much as it means a pagan. Keep in mind, too, you have to remember that in ancient cultures, Pagans often murdered with impunity. They would leave children out to die. Uh, their morality was very, very lax. Uh, in ancient Greece and Rome, uh, religion was not perceived as having a connection to morality. In fact, the Greek gods themselves uh, were highly immoral uh, characters. So again, I think it's much more of a reflection of a, a the, 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 the cultural degradation of that society. It's more of a condemnation of the culture and belief system more than a person than it is a personal attack he even goes on to say that even if a jewish soul starts on a higher plane than a gentile soul because of divine calling god calling Israel, he said even if that was the case he said it could well be that a mother Teresa is far more holy than a jew in other words a jew has been given more by god greater accountability paul says judgment starts with the jew and the gospel goes to the Jew first, right? In Romans 1 and Romans 2, he says those things. But here, this rabbi is saying, look, this is what's taught in Judaism. The righteous of, of all the nations have a place in the world to come, and that there can be a Gentile God-fearer who's at a higher place spiritually than a high priest in Israel. This is taught in Jewish literature. You say, but doesn't the Talmud teach that Jesus is burning an excrement in hell? Possibly. Possibly. There's a debate. You can, you, I've studied this with religious Jews. Is it talking about Jesus or is it talking about someone else of the same name? Because the time periods don't work. Often there's a Jesus being attacked, but he lives at a different time. And that was actually a common name back then, Yeshua, or it becomes Yeshu. It gets shortened, right? And then it becomes a derogatory name. It's possible that the Talmud, there is a statement in the midst of millions of words that says it. But look, I, I just, so it's, it's ugly. That's extreme. All right. I want you to understand that I've had rabbis tell me from the day I got saved that what Jesus says about the Pharisees is a great insult to them. They said those were some of the holiest men who ever lived. Those were godly men. Those are our teachers, and he's damning them all to hell. He's saying they're children of hell. That's very offensive to us. That's why we can't believe in your book, because we know these leaders and how godly and holy they were. That's what they say. I just posted this on Twitter moments ago, 
As a Christian, if you believe Muhammad is a false prophet, does that mean he's in hell? 77% of the Christians responding so far said yes in hell. So as a Christian, do you believe Muhammad is in hell right now? Do you believe the rabbis who didn't believe in Jesus are in hell right now? Well, that's very offensive to a Muslim. That's very offensive to the rabbinic community. So, but we're not going to go out and burn the Quran, and we're not going to go out and, and, and burn the other literature because of that. So even if the Talmud says it, if so, it's ugly, and it's also a pushback against Christian persecution and things like that. But even if it says it first, there's a debate whether it does or not. But even if it says it, that is not what the Talmud's about. That, that is not one thousandth of a percent of what the Talmud's about. I reject Talmudic authority. I reject the inspiration of the Talmud. I'm not a Talmudic Jew. I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus. I'm a Messianic Jew. I'm, I'm in constant battle with the rabbinic community over the faith. I've been called public enemy number one by rabbis because of my sharing the gospel. All right? Those, those are realities. But here, one, one more thing, just, just quickly. Let, let's go to a Talmudic passage, all right? Uh, let's go to Ketubot, all right? 11b. To Ketubot 11b. You'll see on top, that's the text in Aramaic and Hebrew. And then beneath it is a translation by Rabbi Adin Steinschaltz. The bold words are the literal text, but because it's so concise and full of meaning, he has to give a full-length explanation here, all right? And, and the, the issue is, the, the issue is, uh, it, it's, it's going, down, going down and discussing the question about whether, uh, whether a woman should be considered a virgin or not when she gets married. All right, we don't have to leave the text up there because we're not going to go through all the, the Hebrew and the Aramaic, all right? We're, so we don't need that on the screen. But here's, here's what it's dealing with. It's, it's dealing with the question of when, a, when there's a marriage contract being made, if a woman is a virgin or not, all right? What happens to a woman who, before she was even three years old, was sexually abused by another man? What happens to that? And it says, it's nothing. <gasps> it's no, no, this is... Ter- what does it mean? It means she's still considered a virgin. That, that the, the rabbinic view is a merciful view that rather than saying this girl who was abused before she was three years old should, should no longer be considered a virgin, she didn't commit a crime, she didn't sin, she didn't go sleep with somebody, so it's considered nothing. It's just like it says, it says if, if she was broken by a piece of wood, okay? That's all it, that it says. It doesn't say the thing is, no, no, throughout the Talmud, there's all law after law after law about sexual relations. Go meet an ultra-Orthodox rabbi as a woman and go to shake his hand. He pulls his hand back. He's not allowed to touch another woman. All right, go, go walking through an ultra-Orthodox area in Israel as, as a woman. Maybe, maybe you're wearing uh, shorts and, and, and a shirt. You won't be allowed in there. No, you got to be totally covered up. Why? Because it's principles of modesty and things like that that are actively taught. Here, we're told, no, according to Talmud, a guy could marry off a girl at three and then start having sex with her. Okay, Kedushin. Kedushin, 81b in the Talmud, okay? And here, I'll just read to you some of the relevant English. Rabbi Elazar, it is permit, it is prohibited for a man to betroth his daughter when she is a minor until she grows up and says, I want to marry so-and-so. Otherwise, she might reject the designated husband and ultimately sin by committing adultery. So, so here the, the Talmud is saying, look, if you force somebody into a marriage that they don't consent to, they may end up revolting against that, rejecting that person committing adultery. So you do not, this is, this is what the Talmud teaches. 
Yes, but I read something else. That's why you need to sit and look at the rabbinic commentaries. That's why you need to sit and look at the further background. That's why you need to sit and understand it. Once again, I am not a Talmudic Jew. I, I a thousand to one, prefer the, the, the writings of the New Testament to, to the writings of the Talmud or the Mishnah. There are beautiful traditions in there. There are fascinating interpretations in there. There are things with some, some wonderful background that give us insight into Jewish beliefs and customs that have, even would, would have been prevalent in Jesus' day. But for the most part, it's legalese. For the most part, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It takes a lifetime to learn it. And it's saying, hey, God gave us these laws. We've got to understand every little last detail. I respect the spirit behind it, but I differ. I say God's given us a new and better covenant in Yeshua. But let's not misrepresent it and get worked up into burning Talmuds again today. All right, your calls when we come back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks to our team for playing that Jewish music, reminding us it's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Thanks to our devoted call screener, Howard, doing a great job as always. Thanks for tuning in, 866 866- Three four eight seven eight eight four. It is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. That means your Jewish-related calls are welcome. Eight six six three four truth. Let's start off with Michael in Puerto Rico. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, how are you doing, Doctor Brown? Doing well, thanks. You don't have me on speakerphone, do you? Uh, no, sir. It's, uh, it's a Wi-Fi. Because uh... all right, go for it. You're calling from Puerto Rico. All clear. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, um, I was calling in reference to the Michael Jones uh, interview uh, last Thursday. Uh, would you agree that the Second Temple Pharisees, that they were basing their response to to the Logos on a rational interpretation of the scriptural tradition, that, you know, their their response to Yeshua was, was a rational interpretation of Scripture? All right. F- first... For those who didn't catch the interview, I, I interviewed Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones last week. I believe his writings and positions are blatantly anti-Semitic. He believes they are not. But as we both committed to, we had a civil airing of our differences as clearly as we possibly could. And I appreciate him for being willing to come on the show with me. Um, there were different reasons. Remember, it wasn't all the Pharisees that rejected him. The Sadducees were a large part of it. Uh, a lot of that had to do with power a corrupt chief priest and things like that, and, and the temple control. So you had these battles already between Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and others that were pretty heated. And I believe ultimately Jesus' coming was a threat to their authority and a threat to their system. Now, certainly some rejected him as Messiah because in their view, the Messiah had to rule and reign and set up a kingdom and not die a criminal's death. Uh, but uh, I I don't believe they were consciously rejecting God and the scriptures, but many rejected for wrong reason. Uh, it, it, we know that Pilate saw that the Jewish leaders were envious 
And it says in, in, uh, again in the book of Acts that the Sanhedrin or the, the, the Sadducees, they were envious. They were jealous of, of the progress that was being made by the Jewish followers of Jesus. So uh, I categorically reject Dr. Jones' thesis that Jews through history have rejected God's wisdom and therefore are subversives trying to overthrow society, trying to change the world their, their way, and, and that's their conscious way of fighting back against Catholicism or fighting against Jesus. I categorically reject that thesis. But I believe those who reject it, reject it with their eyes wide open, and that he was a challenge to them, that, that he exposed their hypocrisy, that he challenged their traditions, and that to acknowledge him as Messiah and Lord would have been to, to submit to the apostles. So I believe there are other factors I- involved. Now, since then, Jews who've not seen Jesus in his glory, they've not seen his miracle working power, they, they, they've just seen him as passed down through church tradition and often through anti-Semitic church tradition, many have rejected Jesus based on intellectual grounds. They study the scripture and they don't see the messianic prophecies as pointing to him. They, they look at Christians having departed from the law. I mean, I've interacted with very sincere rabbis for decades, and I guarantee you some of them would make mincemeat of, of Christian pastors trying to argue their points, and they'd make mincemeat just using the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so I believe a lot of the rejection since has been, you know, there's been hardness, people raised to reject Jesus. The church has been part of hardening the Jewish people, pushing them away, uh, so that there are Jews today who reject Jesus because in their mind, they want to follow God, they want to follow the Torah, they want to follow the scriptures, they want to be loyal to God, so their yes to God is a no to Jesus. That's why my, heart's break, my heart breaks for them all the more, because I, I see them as, as missing, uh, missing the truth in the midst of their sincerity. So it's kind of a uh, yeah. long answer, short question, but long answer. Yeah, my, my only point that I want to make uh, that I would respond to that is that if uh, the, the, if, uh, you know, the Michael Jones and all the, the right-wing Christians that, want, that are anti-Semitic and so forth, they're basing their view, uh, and they have expectations of society that is not congruent with the eschatology of the New Testament, you know, if they, if they have, uh, if they're amillennial or if they're preterist and they don't have a futurist view, you know, they, they have a rational view of eschatology just like the Second Temple Pharisees. And that's my only point that... that uh, yes, that, sir. That, uh, I, I, concur, I concur with that. I concur with that. Absolutely. Yes. Well, yeah, that's so, what I wanted to comment on. Uh, thank you for inviting him to the show, because uh, I, I got the... I like to be challenged. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. All right. God bless. Appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, hey, True News, why, why are you sending comments challenging me on YouTube and now engaging in chat when I've said you come on my show and I go on your show? Or let's have a public debate. True News just posted this. My team noticed it. Rick and True News team will show shocking photos and video of IDF shooting a blindfolded, handcuffed Palestinian boy accused of throwing rocks. Okay, number one, number one, that's what they're claiming. Number two, we, we have to see context, actually know what's happening. And number three, if something like that happened, that would be considered an atrocity in Israel. If something like that happened, there would be an outcry in Israel. If something like that happened, there would be protests on the street by Jews. And that person in the IDF would be punished under criminal law because of it. Because that would be an outrage. Yet when Islamic terrorists blow up Israeli children, there's dancing in the streets and celebrating. 
And, and, and by the way, if an individual Israeli soldier commits an atrocity, does that make all Jews guilty? When there's an American mass murder, American white male mass murder. Does that make all American white males guilty? Is, is, that, is that the way it works? Yikes. So, true news. I keep opening the door to you. Let's put this on the table. Why not have a big debate? Come on. We, a lot of people will watch it. We'll live stream it. Your platform, my platform, we can reach millions of people. And we'll put the evidence on the table. You come up with your charges that the Jews own the White House and the Jews own the evangelicals and the, and the Talmud says that all, that all Gentiles are going to be slaves. And all, and all. Let's go ahead. Let's do it. This is childish stuff. To po- We're going to post this. Come on, let's, let's put this stuff out for the world to see. Let's educate. I have no fear bringing the truth into light. And when Israel does something wrong, I'll be at the front lines criticizing. Absolutely. And, and when there's something erroneous that a rabbi says, you better believe I'll denounce it. Absolutely. And I got more track record, friends, than anybody on True News sharing the gospel with Jewish people on the front lines for 47 years and being rejected for it. So be it. That's a joy and honor and privilege. Let's make some progress here. How about some light rather than just silly heat? 866-342. And if you quote me, quote me in context. How's that? We go to Joshua in Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Dr. Brown. This is a real honor. Um, My I'm joy. Calling, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I've, I've heard you a couple, for a couple of debates and uh, that sort of stuff, and I really found that you're very, uh, you're very poignant intellectual. I've always been looking for, like, I've always wanted to know, um, I'm, I'm, I was raised charismatic, and I am still charismatic, and um, not quite Pentecostal. But um, but my my pastor actually was at the Toronto um, revival, um, received a lot of words over his life, and um, I've always been wondering, like, man, why aren't there more uh, charismatic uh, intellectuals out there? And lo and behold, there you are. <laughs> yeah, there there are a whole bunch of us. There are a whole bunch. But oh, in the sure. early days, and, and look. How about Paul and you know people like that in the yeah, early yeah, church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, in point of fact, the early Pentecostal movement really reacted a lot. Uh, the, the modern Pentecostal movement, the turn of the 20th century, really reacted a lot against scholasticism and, and oh, dead sure. theology and, and intellectual oh, yeah. pride. And it swung the other way. So that Acts 4.13 is quoted in the King James that the, that the Sanhedrin saw the apostles uh, we're just ignorant, unlearned men. That became the goal. If they were ignorant, unlearned, good enough yeah. for them, it's good enough for us, which is obviously not even you know, the right way to, to understand those words. Just mean they didn't have formal yeah. rabbinic training. But yeah, there, there are a bunch of us out there by God's grace, but we rely on the spirit more than our brains. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, well, my, my question um, that I have for you, Dr. Brown, um, kind of like, like Michael from Puerto Rico just before is um, in regard yeah. to your uh, debate with uh, Dr. Michael Jones, and um, I'd actually like to um, really thank you. I A couple weeks ago, or about a month or so ago, I started listening to him and um, just hearing, like, considering reading um, his book, the, Re- the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, and um, uh, as a one of the, one of the core things of my of my uh, of being raised in my church actually my my whole my, my church my whole life we actually celebrate have been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and yeah. Atonement uh-huh. and the Feast of Trumpets. Um, we're, we're not a mess. We're not a messianic. We're not, none of us are Jews, but we have many messianic Jewish friends 
um, and members of our congregation. Um, but we've celebrated these tabernacles my long before I was born, and I'm 24. Um, and uh, so the the Jewish context um, uh, of the Old Testament has been something very core to my um, my life and the growth of my faith. Got and, it. Um, I've always and I've always been very appreciative to my family and to my pastor for introducing that to me and making sure that that was a, a vital hey, part tell, of my tell life. Hey, tell you what, I, I don't want to be rude and interrupt, but we're going to have a break. So if you could ask oh, the question, okay. yeah, that would really help me respond. Or if it's just oh, a I'm comment, sorry. go okay, ahead. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. That's okay, right. I'm sorry. Okay, so my, basically my question was, when you were making, um, a state, making statements about um, how, well, you, when you were responding to Dr. Jones in reference to uh, portions of Scripture where the, Jews, where, where the Jews and the Jewish leaders are saying, you, you know when they say, may his death be on our heads. And um, you were making the response that they uh, that the Jews were um, that the, simply because certain members of the Jewish belief, of, of the Jewish religion made made those yeah yeah so to, yeah to, I'll, 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 yeah I'm going to finish it for you just for time's sake so in Matthew 27 when there's a Jewish crowd and Pilate says what about this Jesus you know crucify him well, all right let his blood be on us and our children in other words, we take responsibility if there's judgment let it fall fall on us and our children. Number one, they were not speaking for the entire Jewish world. They were not even speaking for all the Jews in Jerusalem. It was a Jewish crowd largely stirred up by Jewish religious leaders, especially the, the corrupt high priests, all right? So they cried out. It's an ugly thing. It's a terrible thing that a Jewish crowd did it. But they do not speak for all of the Jewish people. They do not speak for all the Jewish people alive at that time. It was a Jewish crowd. And, and ultimately, what they said did happen, that there was judgment on them and their children. But that does not bring a curse on all Jewish people through all ages that a Jew living today is responsible for the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Come on, please. We'll be right back. Thanks, Joshua. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. This is Michael Brown. My joy to exalt Jesus as the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. If you want a little bit more about Matthew 27, uh, the question, are the Jewish people under a curse? Just looking at our digital library, we have a short video where we address that question. Are all Jews of all time under a curse for rejecting Jesus? That again is on our digital library. That's at askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Explore the library there. Yeah, true news. Dear Dr. Brown, have you called out Ben Shapiro yet for his blasphemy of Jesus Christ? Oh, I wrote an article uh, about that and, and referenced the, the interaction there with, with true news. You, you know, here's the deal. It would be one thing if there was somebody going around mocking the name of Jesus, mocking Christian beliefs, blaspheming God back and forth, and, and they needed to be publicly rebuked, all right? They needed to be publicly rebuked. It's another thing we have a traditional Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus, and, and, 
and and even though Ben's not a specialist in this, he's a sharp enough guy that that he'd be able to provide enough reasons he doesn't believe in Jesus to get your average Christian minister shaking his head and wondering, how do I answer this? And then tell him, read my five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. But bottom line, Ben is respectful of Christians. He's respectful of the Christian faith. He, he works for evangelicals. All right. He, he is employed by evangelicals and, and, and uh, the daily wire uh, is, is led by evangelicals. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it was evangelical funding that helped launch that website. He's friends with Andrew Clavin, who's a Jewish believer in Jesus. They've had friendly dialogues about it. He's sat with John MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur, and Pastor MacArthur in a beautiful way opened up the meaning of Isaiah 53 and pointing to Jesus, etc. Uh, around Easter, Resurrection Sunday, I was sent a link of an article about the crucifixion that, that was posted on Daily Wire that Ben himself shared. So I want to lead Ben to Jesus. I sent him my book, The Real Kosher Jesus. I'd love to have a, a debate or dialogue with him one time if he was ever willing to do it. But I'm not supposed to go around rebuking him for blaspheming Jesus because he doesn't believe in Jesus. Is that the New Testament method of evangelism? That, that any person you meet that's not a believer, you, you, and, and they said, I don't believe in Jesus, or I don't believe Jesus is God, or I don't believe he's the Messiah, that you then rebuke them for being blasphemers? Are you serious? Wow. Wow. I mean, this, this, and look, I'm exposing this, not, not because of one organization that reaches X number of people, but because of a steady stream of anti-Semitism in church history that continues to drive Jews around, away from Jesus, continues to give the New Testament a bad name, continues to give Jesus a bad name. That's what I'm jealous for. That's what I'm concerned about. I want Jesus Yeshua exalted in the eyes of the Jewish people. I want them to recognize who he really is as Messiah and Lord and bow the knee to him. And if they reject him, they'll suffer the consequences like everyone else. That's reality. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Debbie in Texas. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you for taking my phone call, Dr. Brown. Uh, my question is, what is the importance or the relevance of the year 6000 on the Hebrew calendar in light of prophecy, the millennium, or Jesus' second coming? Yeah, so in Jewish tradition, we're in calendar year 5,779, I believe, 5779, which would mean that there are 221 years before we hit the year 6,000. Now, there is not a fixed Jewish belief that the Messiah comes at, 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 at the end of this. In other words, that there's 221 years before the Messiah comes. Traditional Judaism believes that there's a potential Messiah in every generation or the potential of a Messiah being born or being revealed in every generation. And Jewish tradition would actually su suggest that the Messiah should have come about 2,000 years ago, but, but didn't. So it's going to be sometime before the year 6,000. So the idea would be that you have six days of work, so 6,000 years of human history, and then the day of rest, the Sabbath. So the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year messianic reign, would be like the equivalent to the Sabbath. But there's not a date setting going on in Judaism that, well, we're 221 years away, but rather that any time uh, since around the time of Jesus until today that the Messiah could have been revealed, or certainly once the second temple was destroyed, that the Messiah could be revealed. And traditional Jews believe 
that there's a potential Messiah in every generation. So that if, if there will be sufficient Jewish repentance and turning to God, that maybe this great Jewish leader would be revealed as the Messiah and, and would, would lead Israel in obedience to God and rebuild the temple and regather the exiles and things like that. But there's not, there's not a date-setting mentality in Judaism based on the calendar. Um, what about the 1,000-year reign? Would that correspond with the millennium? The yeah, yeah, that, 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 that would, Debbie, but it's not taught in a dogmatic way. In, in other words, you have premillennial Christians who say there will be a 1,000-year messianic reign, but in Judaism, it's not fixed. Uh, what, what is fixed in Judaism is laws, how we observe the Sabbath, how we, we keep kosher, uh, how we interact with our, our wives, our family. It, you know, these laws, what prayers we pray, that's what gets fixed, gets fixed in Judaism. The end times is not fixed. That's a matter of speculation. That's not a matter of, of law. <clears throat> there are certain laws related to it, but for the most part, it's not a matter of law. So what that ultimately means is that there is a wide variety of opinions uh, within Talmudic literature and then later literature. There's not a fixed view that there will be a thousand year messianic reign. Some would see that others would not. There's a lot of variety in those end time views. The greater emphasis is on praying for the coming of the Messiah and then living lives worthy of the coming of the Messiah and, and helping the Jewish community as a whole live more obedient Jewish lives to hasten coming of the Messiah. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Ben Shapiro is a Christ-hating Jew. Ben Shapiro is worshipped by evangelicals. I honestly feel for folks posting these things. Ben Shapiro does not believe Jesus is the Messiah. Ben Shapiro is respected by a lot of evangelicals. He is not a Christ-hating Jew, and he's not worshipped by evangelicals. But, but see, it's, it's this type of rhetoric. These are just some comments on YouTube. You say, well, why reply to these? Who are these people? Well, everybody's important. Everybody's view is important. It was, it's not just if you're a, you know, a, a Anderson Cooper on CNN or Sean Hannity on Fox News, or it's not just if you're Ben Carson in, in, in the cabinet or, or Mike Pence, the vice president, speaking, and then, no, every, everybody has a view. Everybody's wor- worthy of getting an opinion out, but some just need to be exposed for what they are. And, and, and the problem is that many times people are not willing to listen, to understand, because they have opinions. It doesn't matter what you say. They have opinions. They have biases. I love for my opinions and biases to be challenged on a regular basis. I love for my beliefs to be challenged. I, I love when a belief I have in Scripture something I've held to, an understanding of the Hebrew or the Greek, a point that I've, I've preached or stated. I love for it to be challenged in a, in a way that is solid, not just through emotional memes and, and, and little sound bites that are filled with, with no truth at all. No, I, I love when someone comes with good, solid questions based on evidence. Here, I had Joel Richardson on the show yesterday, fascinated to hear him talk about a, a possible... Uh, uh, Saudi Arabian location for Mount Sinai. I've uh, never looked into it. I've never studied it. Haven't read his book yet. I said on the air yet yesterday, I hadn't read it, but eager to look at it. Someone posted a note saying, yeah, Michael Heiser, so top Old Testament Semitic scholar, and, and we've interacted a number of times now. So we're, we're colleagues in uh, Old Testament Semitics. And uh, someone said, well, Michael Heiser's got a podcast where he debunks that. 
So I went to look at it immediately, started looking up other articles, sent a link to Joel. Hey, have you seen this? And so on. I, great. Let's put out the evidence. Some say this, others say this. Let's look at it. Let's examine this. Uh, <clears throat> but let, let's get past the standard tropes and, and the, the empty sound bites and the meaningless memes. Let's deal with truth. You're just being slippery. No. Uh, here. <laughs> if someone falsely accused you of something, and you said something that was taken out of context, and next thing you're getting death threats at your house, would you consider it slippery of me to get on the air and say, hey, so-and-so was accused of saying that. That's not really what they said. Let's look at the larger context. Would you get upset with me? If your kids were getting beaten up at school because lies were being circulated about them based on a misunderstanding of something they had posted on social media, would you call me slippery if I said, hey, let's look at those posts on social media. Let's look at that on context. Let's see how these kids are being demonized for something they never said and they never did. Now, you wouldn't call me slippery. You'd say, thank God for someone who actually cares and is taking the time to look. That's what we do. Look at the evidence. We, we sift it carefully. We examine the different views. We separate fact from fiction, truth from error, light from darkness. And that's the real reason some people get upset with me is because we challenge their views based on a careful examination of the truth. Everybody listen. If you're watching, look me in the eyes. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. Second Corinthians 13, 8. We can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. I'm getting on the side of truth.